Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. This is Dr. Armin Feldman, along with my friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Bummer. And welcome to this edition of the Physicians Helping Attorneys, Helping People podcast. Mike, how are you today? I'm fantastic, Armin. How are you? Good. Really good. I think that we have a really good show today. Uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit uh, about the history and the uh, origin story of how all of this got started. And I know, Mike, that you've got a really unique case, a really uh, case with a really unusual diagnosis in a head injury case that you did not too long ago. Yeah, exactly. This case really jumped out and I wanted to discuss because the attorney initially asked me if I had any insights as to how seizures could be related to a mild traumatic brain injury that was sustained. Great. Talk about that a little bit today. No, that's just great. So, but before we get started, so, uh, I haven't spoken to you since you got back. So how was the tennis tournament? Oh, right. So I was in New Jersey this past week. I am fortunate to compete in a adult United States Tennis Association League. And our team competed in Princeton, New Jersey this weekend. And we did really well. We, we actually missed making it to the national competition in Arizona. We missed it by two points. And for anyone out there who plays tennis, it was a third set tiebreaker in one of the matches. Oh, it was so close. But I'll tell you what, we we really had a lot of fun. We, we exceeded uh, our team's expectations. And Congratulations on that. I mean, that's really impressive. That's uh, uh, I know how competitive that is. Yeah. And it gets the heart rate pumping, which as we all know, as, as adults who work too hard, that is, that's key. And I should return the question here. I, I was in New Jersey and you, you were in Aspen, Colorado. Not sure who wins. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Holly and I were in uh, Aspen uh, at the same time that you were at the tennis tournament. And boy, it was beautiful up there. We hiked the Rio Grande Trail along the Roaring Fork River. Um, it was right uh, after the uh, end of the summer season. So uh, it wasn't that crowded, and uh, it, it was just beautiful. That's great. I got to get out. I got to get out there. Yeah. So, well, let me start with uh, this uh, first part of the podcast, and I, I thought it might be interesting for our listeners to know just a little bit about how this all developed. And 
the way that this started was many years ago. Of course, now it's been many, many years ago. Uh, I was referred several head injury cases from uh, a young attorney who I'd recently met. Now he's a very close friend. In fact, we've been friends now almost 40 years. And one thing led to another. And I wound up owning outpatient head injury rehabilitation clinics around the country, as you know. And I started my first clinic in Denver and uh, developed that clinic into a comprehensive uh, outpatient psychiatric pain management, cognitive rehabilitation, a treatment program, and so forth of my own design for head injury rehabilitation and had psychiatrists, psychologists, neuropsychologists, clinical social workers, biofeedback therapists, and others working at the clinic. And I think we did a great job of getting head injured patients back up on their feet. Hmm. Yeah. So the next clinic was in Colorado Springs, and then there was a clinic in Detroit, and it just grew and grew from there. And up uh, uh, wound up, I was very fortunate and uh, was eventually uh, able to sell those uh, clinics and uh, was thinking about what I was going to do next. I was kind of out of a job <laughs> at that point, right? And I had testified as an expert witness, really, you know, more times than I wanted to remember on behalf of my patients who were being cut off of their medical care, offered some pittance of a settlement. And I thought, well, maybe what I could do is just consult to attorneys on any kind of medical question that uh, came up uh, in a case. And that's what I've been doing. And uh, of course, that's what you're doing. Many other physicians are doing now all over the country. So starting that first medical legal consulting business, it was kind of a, a natural outgrowth of my head injury clinics. And I learned about uh, how healthcare is delivered in this corner of medicine, the, uh, about our legal system, uh, about the adversarial nature uh, of the work, and started thinking about, well, how could I help attorneys and realize that uh, PI attorneys, workers' comp attorneys, they probably settle, right, eight or nine uh, out of 10 cases, and that maybe there's a niche there in helping attorneys, uh, primarily in those cases that they negotiate and settle. How did you make the, and maybe I'm getting ahead of uh, things, but how did you make the jump from going to head injuries to, you know, fractures and orthopedic injuries and, and a variety of medical ongoing issues? Right. Well, first of all, these things, of course, were present in the, the patients that we saw at the head injury clinic, and I started to learn about them uh, then. Uh, also, um, way back, uh, you know, in the ancient days, my internship was in internal medicine, uh, and so I had some background in this, and I thought, I could probably uh, answer any kind of medical question in a case, uh, particularly based on my uh, ability to just go to the literature and uh, look things up and answer the questions that the attorneys mm -hmm. had. Hmm. So 
you know, in fact, when I opened the, my consulting business, I, I really didn't know if there would be a market for consulting to attorneys on all things medical. And, you know, I really didn't have a good idea of what kind of consults I'd be doing. Uh, now, as we know, there's definitely a market and there are several very specific services that we offer attorneys and, and that we've begun to discuss in detail in our uh, podcast episodes. But um, it really took me a, a couple of years to develop all of the services that we offer as medical legal consultants and refine what it really means to be a good medical legal consultant. And my how did you refine, how did you refine that though? As a doctor, how did you, at the beginning stages, I know you've taught me how to do it, but how did mm -hmm. you crack the nut of becoming a, you know, kind of doctor legal specialist of sorts? Right. Well, I think that, um, the real answer to the question is there was nobody doing this as kind of a formalized uh, specialty of medicine. And of course, now we know it's turned into a, a, a subspecialty of forensic medicine. But uh, I really learned by trial and error. And as you know, what I tell physicians that go through uh, the, the training program, my training program to, to learn how to do this is, uh, a lot of what I teach, maybe almost all of what I teach, is based on mistakes <laughs> that I made over the years. Oh, there, yeah. there was really no one uh, at that point that I could uh, turn to for a curbside uh, consult. So uh, the attorneys that I worked with were uh, very uh, uh, kind and understanding, and I think they were very uh, happy to have a physician on their team. But um, in terms of helping me to learn uh, as much of the legal side of this as I needed to. And I did a lot of uh, questioning of the attorneys to find out what they really need. Yeah, I was going to say you're probably in this role that, that isn't really a treating doctor or expert witness. You really are. We are collaborating, right? So I guess right. we learn, and I know I've learned a lot from my attorneys. Every case I learn something from them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I guess if you do a thousand of them, now you've you've stacked up a lot of tidbits along the way and little tricks and way, way that things should be worded. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that's right. So now having done over 3,000 cases, that's exactly what's uh, happened. And the great thing is over the years, the feedback from attorney clients is that we help to increase case value. We save attorney time uh, and um we do that uh, at a reasonable fee. So that that's all worked out to be a good thing. But then what happened is that after I was doing this for a couple of years, I realized that hey, I, other physicians could do this, that this is something that could be taught and physicians could learn this, uh, the nuances of how to do this specific kind of medicine, uh, this new branch of medicine. And uh, I've had the opportunity and the pleasure 
over the past 13 years to train about 1600 physicians in how to do this kind of work. And I was very fortunate that you were one of those students many years ago, and uh, it led to us uh, uh, partnering in uh, physicians, legal consultants, and um, and being able to collaborate on things like this podcast. Well, you're, you're very kind. And I would also want to share, you're, you're pretty humble too, because the the way I found you was from searching for some type of, you know, additive work to my, my clinical work. The, the conference that you put on, which you did for how many years? This is pre COVID. Was that? Yeah. Eight years pre pre COVID. Yeah. So eight years you put on this conference where you educated specifically taught how to do this type of consulting work. So bravo. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Thanks. So uh, I just thought that might be interesting for our listeners, but enough enough of that. Let's uh, go on to this really interesting case that you have. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So this was a young woman who sustained a head injury, which is, as we know, pretty common in these car crashes. But what was what was unique was that she may or may not have been predisposed to a seizure disorder. And it was this vague question that the attorney was running up against a wall with the insurance company on getting the medical cost covered and getting them to kind of admit that the crash may have precipitated this new onset seizure disorder, even though it was pretty well explained in her visit summaries. So she was young, she was in her 20s, and a vehicle turned into her on her passenger side and forced her over an embankment she mm. hits a tree, so her, her glasses flew off and her face was scratched and her, you know, everything. So she clearly sustained this head injury. But what, what was really interesting is that in her history, she had this, what was ter- determined a tick disorder from three years prior. Mm-hmm. And the t- before, this was before the accident. Before, before the accident. So right. three okay. years prior, she, she had, I guess, gotten hit on the head with a shelf that fell and uh, had had just some strange ongoing issues after that, and they thought maybe she had a tick, which a tick is a abstract way of describing kind of an unwanted movement of sorts or a jerk. Mm-hmm. And so she had this vague mention in the, in her medical history, and then you know the week after this pretty traumatic crash. Yeah, it sounds like it was a horrible crash. It it was the the poor girl. So as you know, we do. We do a phone interview and you can always tell how traumatic it is for the client by the way they recount the, you know, the details. Mm-hmm. It clearly was traumatic to this young girl. And she, in the week right after the crash, started experiencing a kind of completely new onset of disruptive uh, involuntary movements. And mm. she said before the crash, in her own words, she had never thought twice about these little tick movements that would occur, you know, maybe, you know, once every day or two kind of randomly and was non-inconsequential. Right. Whereas after the crash, she was rating these a seven to nine out of 10. It was, you know, felt like it was constant throughout the day. She's getting, you know, these new onset headaches clearly had some element of a post-concussive syndrome Mm -hmm. and started to experience you know, she didn't feel comfortable driving anymore. They, they had trialed her on these seizure medication, all of which had not existed prior to the crash. So this had completely disrupted her life. The, the tick was kind of a, a, a nuisance, right? But this had completely 
disrupted her life. Absolutely. And the insurance company was telling my attorney client, sorry, you know, this is pre-existing. She, she was predisposed to this and, and they were really running up against uh, a huge hurdle to get past this. So he asked me to come in and, and do the research. And sure enough, and this, this is what just gets me so excited about this work because on the phone call, when we're discussing this preliminarily, I didn't know what I was going to find. This is, this mm. is outside the scope of most people's knowledge, unless you're a neurologist right. that deals with atypical presentation of seizures now. So the research clearly demonstrated when I, when I, when I did my lit search that there were papers from, you know, the previous two decades that showed that these psychogenic non-epileptic seizures, which is what they were, they were diagnosed as mm -hmm. are much more frequent and significant after cases of head trauma. Wow. And there were papers that I found that even said most of the head trauma was minor or moderate. So we're not talking about, you know, severe life, life-threatening head trauma or people who have been in a coma for two months. We're talking about exactly the cases like this client had sustained. Right. So uh, something that was fortunate, nothing is fortunate about what happened to this poor woman, but something that was fortunate in the aftermath was that sure enough in the medical literature, there was a, a good description of these specific kinds of uh, psychogenic seizures, right? Absolutely. Yep. And it's strange because what makes them psychogenic for our listeners who, who aren't neurologists is that this activity, this seizure activity doesn't necessarily show up on EEGs on, right. the, on the, on the brain studies. So it, it leaves medical health professionals kind of shrugging your shoulders to say, right. well, yeah, she has the symptoms, but we can't explain this neurologically. Right. And so that again is another it's kind of like a soft tissue injury. It's, it's akin to a soft tissue injury where someone says their, their back and neck hurts them and they can no longer do activities. And then the scans or MRI show that everything's normal. Right, right. In fact, let me just jump in with one other thing, which is something you said earlier. So she has this, uh, the, the client has this unfortunate situation that a shelf falls on her. She gets a little something and now she has this terrible uh, uh, traumatic injury. And of course, uh, opposing doctors, opposing counsel are saying, well, you know, this is a pre-existing condition. You know, she, she had this tick. And so obviously there's nothing here. There's nothing, you know, move along. There's nothing to look at. So frustrating. I yeah. mean, it, it, when, when I hear this, it fires me up and it, it only fuels me to, to get, write the report as, as clearly as I can, because the, the poor girl, like you had already highlighted her whole life has changed and she needs a whole different course of medical treatment and care. Right. And, you know, that's also one of the things I included in the report is cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, with informed psychotherapy has been one of the few things that have been shown to offset some of these PNES, which is psychogenic non-epileptic seizure disorders. Uh, she's seen by multiple, you know, world-renowned institutions. She happened to be on the East Coast with a few nearby institutions that mm -hmm. that documented this this illness. Now that's great. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, she she was they were they didn't want to even cover the visits for her post-concussive syndrome and her headache after the crash because they kind of 
link this all into one big pre-existing bag. And it was, uh, it was easy for me in this case to lay out a, 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 you know, a graph of the costs and expenses of this care and really paint the whole narrative on how this poor young girl's life is probably completely changed until she gets the care she needs. And we don't even know if it's going to be effective because it's, it's tricky. Right, right. I was going to ask you about that. So even uh, though a a definitive diagnosis could be made, the prognosis, how how things are going to turn out for her is still unclear. Yeah. And in my mind, connecting the dots from from her pre-existing to the crash to then her status afterwards and her ongoing seizure disorder is as clear as day. And this was actually one of the more... I I personally believe one of the more compelling, interesting reports that I've written over the years here. Right. So that was uh, turned out to be a pretty big damage in the case. Did she have other injuries? They were uh, just post-concussive syndrome and um, some post-traumatic headaches. And not right. to be not to reduce the impact of those, but really the highlight was this aggravation. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it caused the PNES, whether it was an aggravation of this, uh, you know, maybe this predisposal to the condition. Oh, and I, I should mention here, as I look at the report in front of me, one of the things that I was able to do, which is exciting, is outlay the mechanism. There's, There are often in the literature, in these journals, there are suggested mechanisms of injury. And there was uh, an opportunity to describe and kind of quote some of the research on this and also explain so that, you know, uh, as someone who is not a neurologist, uh, I was able to, you know, concisely explain how this could occur just based upon what's available in the literature. Yeah, right, right. In fact, that's one of the things that we try to do and uh, we emphasize is that we understand that our reports, they're not really written for other doctors. They're, they're written for lay people. Uh, they're written for the attorneys to understand, uh, for um, insurance adjusters to understand, uh, for, uh, of course, for the treating doctors uh, to uh, understand as well. But uh, really, we try to lay this out in in plain English as much as we can uh, so uh, we can m- maximize the understanding uh, of the people that are uh, reading your report and working on the case and uh, trying to help this uh, woman who uh, who aren't physicians. That's exactly right. And that reminded me that we, I don't think we've mentioned this yet in the show, but if, if any of our attorneys or anyone listening would like to see a version of the redacted, uh, I should say the redacted version of this report, you could email us at the, at our email address, which is comments at physicians, helping attorneys.com. And I have redacted this report because when I meet with new attorneys, often I use it as a as a stepping stone to discuss the, what we do. No, that's a great idea. And now that I think about it, maybe we should have been doing that sooner uh, <laughs> with regard to uh, offering a sample of redacted reports, but yeah. great. Anything else on that? No, that's it. Just uh, glad to be back in the, in the saddle here. And, and I look forward to our next, next show. Yeah, me too. 
So uh, if you enjoyed the show, uh, please uh, give us a uh, five-star rating. If you have a question or comment, as Mike said, please email us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. And of course, if you have a case that you would like to discuss, get a hold of us by email. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. Thank you.